0: Hey, everybody. This is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack Podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation in startups. And today, I am talking to a blast from the past, one of my oldest friends, a guy that was in my wedding, James McManus, who is the founder and CEO of Family First. James, how are you?
1: I'm very well, David. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a great wedding too. I uh, very much enjoyed myself. The in and out at the end was uh, the coup de gras. It was wonderful.
0: Yeah. We're still married too, which is good. That's pause. That's super yeah. pause. And um, you ready for this? Did you go to the bathroom before this?
1: I did. I did.
0: Okay, so we're so I'm, good ready. There. I'm ready
1: for the. I'm ready for the full hour. <laughs>
0: so, so we have like twelve minutes before we have to, <laughs> to take a pause. Um, and mm-hmm. we're talking about mental health today, and we're talking about your business, Family First, which was uh, an or which is an adolescent treatment center, um, for uh, for people, you know, mainly in the United States, um. James, how did you come across looking at this market specifically, um, as it pertains to just adolescence?
1: So, uh, as you know, I was, uh, in a a private practice. So I was a psychotherapist, uh, had a master's in psychology and had my own practice, uh, here in Jupiter in Palm Beach Gardens. And my, uh, my devotion really was towards teenagers. I think uh, coming by it honestly, I had my own struggles as a, as a teenager with mental health and substance use. And so I just had a great deal of, of empathy and desire to help kids specifically in their, their teenage years kind of navigate um, some of those life events. So my whole caseload in Jupiter was predominantly teenagers. I was referred to, these youngsters from uh, family therapists, other centers, things like that, because no one really uh, had the skill set, I think, or the desire to work with adolescents. It's a hard population, um, extremely labile, and uh, difficult to to see results specifically if you're seeing them one, two hours per week on an outpatient basis. So, um, you know, I, I knew for operating that private practice for a couple of years that, um, I didn't want to be doing that later down the line in, uh, in life. And I wanted to, uh, uh, to do something a little bit, uh, different. And I think, uh, I identified that as a market in the state of Florida that was very, very underserved. And so just set forth to put together a small business plan and, um, recruit, uh, our first employee here, which is Ben Cecil. I've got our—he's uh, our co-founder as well. I've got a picture of us uh, with our first check. Um, so, as you can tell by the picture, we were pretty immature, still are, and related pretty well to kids. And you know, we just set forth to start out a small, intensive outpatient, and um, and and went from there.
0: So. You wanted to build a business which inherently is a lot different than a practice. A practice, if you die, does not work, right? You are inherently the money maker and you wanted to build something that had some um, some stability, something that's uh, transferable, essentially that you can provide value to and sell to another person. And uh, you went into the outpatient, um, is that just kind of like the natural, you know, uh, ascension of treatment? Like, how did you think about levels of care and why you wanted to to, to use that as kind of your beachhead?
1: Well, a couple of uh, factors. A, um, you know, I had saved, I lived in a, you know, one bedroom apartment and saved about $15,000 to start this. So pretty difficult. I had never owned a home or or anything like that, uh, I was just 33 years old. And so financial limitations were uh, a, a great part of it. But also, there was no competition. There was not one other intensive outpatient for adolescents in Palm Beach County. So, you know, uh, I saw that as a, a great opportunity um, to be the first one. And, uh, and we just kind of took it from there.
0: Yeah. And like that, that's, that is a great indicator, but it's also could be a scary indicator. I don't even know if you thought about this, but like, how did you think about like, okay, well, if there's none here, is there really a market here? Right. For it. Um, so like, how did you think about, you know, uh, you know, like other comps and other geos Were you, was it like, uh, was it an emerging type of, um, I, I guess a modality of care where you felt like, you know, like it's not really here today, but it's going to be.
1: Um, I, you know, it was a lot of naivete, honestly, it was something where I knew I was good at, uh, treating youngsters and their families on an individual basis, uh, you know, that I could run great group therapy and, um, you know, in the healthcare business, as you know, it's difficult for some people to transition, um, to the marketing piece of it. And I kind of preternaturally had that right off of the bat uh, with the private practice being able to to get out there and to really hustle and market and hit all of the networking groups and all of the meetings and um, so. I, it, but also, uh, no research really was done. I just saw it as you know, first the youngsters that were in my practice could use that service, and I was referring them. Kind of directly to residential programs. And there were no opportunities to uh, give the kids a chance at a kind of what you would call a higher level of care, the intensive outpatient level. So um, it, was, it was, I was naive, uh, but also, you know, I thought uh, there wasn't anyone that could really do it better uh, than me. And then, and then, especially when Ben came and joined. Um, that uh, literally, I've never met a, a better therapist for adolescents than than Ben. So we just kind of set off to do it together, and just grew it really from from that small twelve hundred square foot office.
0: So you took your shot, right? It worked. Um, was it hard? I mean, I feel like treatment, and it may have evolved, but you know, I feel like treatment was made up primarily of people that have had some sort of, you know, personal experience in recovery or behavioral health issues. They've, you know, overcame them through, you know, some type of some type of work. And but there was really like a lack of professionalism within within the business like it was always kind of looked at as like this hodgepodge of individuals that had relationships and there was no best of class you know uh brand out there there was no john hopkins or mayo clinic of substance abuse um has that changed or do you feel like we're still kind of living in you know the former um,
1: well, I think that with today's youth and, and what we saw pretty immediately was uh, the real elevation of the mental health component. Um, so that treating underlying depression and anxiety and trauma and family systems issues was really mostly at the root of uh, the substance use problems. So um, once we started getting our hands on kids in, in those higher level of cares, the intensive outpatient, and then when we started our first residential, we knew that we had to evolve away from any type of adult model. You know, we, you know, uh, tried, uh, we did things like, you know, sat down and took uh, the 12 steps of AA and tried to rewrite them for a kid. Uh, we did all kinds of, uh, um uh, attempts and uh, and failures at at uh, um, kind of isolating what was going to uh, win the kids confidence and win the parents confidence the quickest and that uh, that we could use longitudinally for results and it really is a, a consistent evolution you know I say in the behavioral health space it is you know the soft science I mean there is no, you know thousands and thousands of years ago we figured out how to set a broken leg you know and that's what we did that's just how it it, it was a it was a here's the snap here's the fix it's done you get the results you listen to the the doctor from you know even today like you tear an acl here's the fix listen to these rehab instructions and you know 99.9 percent of the time you're going to be okay and psychology and mental health is just not like that it's uh it's extremely subjective so um, it is a constantly evolving science and uh, I think uh, um, we're just scratching the surface and I always tell our folks and our staff that uh, this is the fun time in something like this It's so new you know I mean in the 1940s the you know leading family of the, the United States, the Kennedys, had their daughter get a lobotomy. You know that's where the science was. They you know put an ice pick into her brain and that was the most resourceful family that we had in, in the United States. So you know you fast forward 80 years, it's just a blip, it's nothing. So uh, I think that you're right that it, it really was, uh, I think the industry itself, be it substance use or mental health, still trying to figure some things out to try and end up, hopefully, in my lifetime or the next to have that kind of math equation that is you do this plus this, plus this, you're going to get the result. And, um, I think everyone is, is striving towards that. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a moving target.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I've never really thought about behavioral health being such a like early science, and so, from your perspective, there is a line of sight to being much more prescriptive and um, and calculated with treatment plans, in which you can get you can get results. We're just in such early days, and you know, from a data perspective, from just I guess mileage perspective, to understand what that is yet.
1: I'm accurate, hundred percent. I think uh, we're just scratching the surface, and the data is being collected. Uh, you know, as we speak by smarter people than, than myself, but, uh, it's, um, ever evolving.
0: So do you think, um, so like, I think about the construct because you, you provide a service, um, and you know, you obviously have a, a calculated, you know, approach to how you address things and that's how you market yourself. And that's, you know, and that's the package, that's the family first package and the offering that you put out there. But that is constrained by the regulations that are set forth by, you know, accreditation agencies, you know, uh, state state boards, you know, um, et cetera. So is there like a regulatory capture um, element to this where, you know, behavioral health uh, providers and or entrepreneurs, founders like yourself – have a hard time breaking through because these things are so codified and like, you know, are written and, and upheld by, you know, people that are, you know, state employees.
1: Uh, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, there's the insurance companies dictate a lot of care and, and treatment and, um, you know, we, you know, rather than fight the uphill battle, you have to play within the, the constraints and understand the, uh, the parameters that are set forth by insurance companies, by state regulators, auditors, um, and different certifications that must be received. I think for any new operator to understand, do not bite off more than you can chew. And uh, I think that's one thing that we did very well. We never got into a position where, you know, if a few things went wrong, it was completely over uh, beyond, you know, the first year or two, uh, where just having, you know, trying to save the capital and, and, and trying to make the, uh, the right decisions for the business. But you don't want to be too dependent on insurance. You don't want to be too dependent on cash pay clients or state reimbursements or Medicaid, things like that. Because as you can see, and as you know, you know, markets shift and things shift, uh, uh in the finance world, they shift in the, uh, behavioral health space and in healthcare as well. and one thing that might be good for you know United Healthcare today is not good for United Healthcare next month and so just um, uh, just paying attention to everything but play within the the, the realm you know and uh, and things usually work out.
0: So what you just said was really interesting, the importance of focus and being pragmatic with your revenue mix, um, diversify it, you know, uh, taking calculated bets, you know, managing risk that doesn't sound like, um, something founders talk about, right. Founders are visionary people, right. They, you know, strike first and, you know, and ask questions later, Are those skills and, you know, behavioral kind of like traits, uh, is that something that you inherently have? Or do you have people on your team that help, you know, set up guardrails and and help you manage risk? How do do you how are you able to kind of have that knowledge?
1: Um, I think it was kind of put uh, to me pretty well. It was it was inherent, but it was given it was it, it was given the life experience I had prior to opening this. So, uh, Andrew uh, Kauth with UBS, who you know very well and uh, uh, work with, uh, gave me a book uh, called The Psychology of Money recently. And I read through and just kind of was like, oh, that's why I did that because of my experiences. So, my first real job, you know, I was doing subprime mortgages with countrywide home loans in LA County in like 2003 and four and five. And so all I saw was this young people with tons of money and, uh, you know, just kind of a fly by the seat of your pants environment and people spending and, and, uh, just, you know, it was a wild time. And, um, and luckily I was very young when that, uh, well, not that young, but 28 when everything crashed and obviously lost my job. But, you know, uh, I had friends in that, those, those industries that lost everything. You know, that they had vested in homes. They tried to be pragmatic and smart, put in things to real estate and, you know, just lost everything. So I think that I came with that knowledge of like, I know, for lack of better words, shit can go wrong overnight. And you better be ready to have something stabilize you till you can get yourself on your feet. So, um, you know, I think that... uh, you know, I, I had the vision, but I also had that experience of first, I was our only investor, you know, and so it was just all related. It wasn't anybody else's money. So I think there's a different psychology behind that. Totally. But your,
0: your, your, your your balance sheet was not subjected to stupid tax, right? Like we're all my companies. They all just, you know, do dumb shit because it's not their money. <laughs>
1: Right. And I also had the experience where like overnight, I got on a conference call for my job and they were like, oh, we don't have a company anymore. And you're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Um, I didn't know that that could could happen, you know, and uh, it certainly did. So life experience helped as well.
0: So, you know, you came out, you professionalized a brand, you went to market, you've opened up an East Coast offering that no one else had you know, in order to have a successful business, you need to have a successful sales motion. Right. And in a business where, um, you know, it really is all referral dependent, right. It's not a recurring revenue business. You, you have to create these relationships. How did you, um, really, I would say, you know, quantify a budget. Like how did you think about, you know, uh, growing the, the business and keeping up and up and, and making sure that, you know, it was all done cleanly. Um, well, well, not just like, because I could just imagine you, you sending people out in the market and, you know, like, oh, we had a really great call, but like, you know, really they're just getting smile fucked and no business comes from it. Right. So how did you think about, you know, setting expectations and, you know, really forecasting your growth? Well, I think
1: that, you know, and again, luckily, um, I had been, so, uh, we sat down, you know, the company got in a little, uh, it was a little hairy for us about, uh, nine months in and we had, uh, business development person who had been in the field and yada yada and uh i just said you know here's what we're gonna do and i met ben at starbucks and said you are going to take care of every single thing operationally and starting like monday i'm getting on the road and i need to sell this so my suggestion to anyone who has that and you know I've got that kind of ability, too. I think that that's where I shine most, not operationally. I don't have a great deal of patience to teach people. And so my fortune, good fortune, was that Ben did. And he could stay here, and he could make sure, you know, treatment was going fine, the therapists were, you know, in line, all of these things were going, and I could get on the road. So it was just me for five years. I did all of the admissions calls and um, all of the outreach. And so we saved a great deal of money for those positions, and um, you know it was uh, seven days a week, three sixty five. I mean, it never. It was a non stop, uh, uh, you know, movement to save as much money as possible to get to the point where we could safely hire a business development team, hire an admissions team, and really start to solidify the company as as a little bit more than just a real mom and pop operation
0: And so what was that like? I mean, you went from founder led sales to, I would say, founder managed sales. So, I mean, I can imagine that being pretty frustrating. You're going in, you're like, well, I brought in X amount of patients. Why can't you? Right. <laughs> so.
1: It And again, I just got lucky. I mean, I had several people, I was desperate to find someone to take me away from that role. It's, uh, extremely laborious. You know, it was, uh, there was a lot and, and that's the way I think, honestly, it kind of should be. There was a lot on my shoulders for the first five years. And I think, honestly, as I thought about our speaking today and what I would say to to people is no one's going to come and save you. You know, there's no one out there that's going to come and magically be able to, you know, increase your bottom line. You have to go and do that. If that's your skill set, you must do that. And, um, you know, I hired... And, fired. I got a little bit of a reputation of being kind of a quick draw. I could kind of figure it out in two or three months and be like, Nope, not good. And so, uh, had a little bit of a reputation for, you know, letting people go pretty quickly just because it wasn't going to work. And we got an amazing gentleman out of, uh, Orlando, um, who I consider honestly the best in the country, um, at this position. I mean, he currently has 30 kids in care right now and Graham, uh, Uh, was a a real savior for us there for my ability because i needed to come off of the road to figure out what the next steps for family first were because you can't do it if you're just out there all the time in hotels on the plane in the car and um it's tough to think about what are the next steps for your company so again i got very lucky with that um and I will say, not necessarily lucky. I was out there a lot and hunting. Someone mentioned his name to me, which business is business, right? So they said, I've got this monster in Orlando just crushing it. And I filed that away. I set up a uh, like a lunch and learn with his company and our company in Orlando. With our clinical director, went up there. I didn't care about that event at all. My, the whole point of that was to target him. And I went up there, and I met him, and I kind of just pulled it in. And then um, he came on, and so it was lucky that he was there and available at that time. But I will say, if you're not out there at all these conferences, meeting all these people, you're never going to hear about these, you know, diamonds in the rough that are just sitting there waiting for you.
0: You know, it's it's funny you mentioned, you know, luck and um... – I heard this old quote, which is pretty good. It's, uh, you know, it's funny how it works that the harder that I work, the luckier that I get.
1: (laughs) I I like that. I like that. Yes.
0: Luck is really, um, I'd say the harder that I work, the the more opportunities get availed to me. Right. And those opportunities are availed by luck. But, you know, there's no opportunities if you're not actually turning the crank.
1: Correct. You got to get out there and get out there with uh, a fervor. You know, I I did, there was no detailed plans. I just would call people in different cities and they would introduce me to other people and I would stay there for two or three days and come home, land, get another plan and go. Mm -hmm. You just have to, you know, it's a, it's a grind, but um, it is extremely satisfying on the back end of it because you remember those four or 5 a.m. flights, you remember sitting on tarmacs or renting these stupid little cars. And mm-hmm. I got caught in like a flash flood in Houston. Like you remember all of these times where shit was low and when it booms, it's a, uh, it's a very uh, rewarding feeling. know that you grinded that out and earned that, you know? And um, uh, but I, I, like what you said. I think that the harder you work, the luckier you're going to get.
0: So you recently had a, um, a recap, you had somebody come in and invest in the company. And so what does that mean for you? What does that mean for family first? do you do uh, yes. it? Yes.
1: Very exciting. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, wanted us to, uh, cut the largest swath we could, and uh, I think, you know, you and I had had that conversation where founders have to be honest with each other uh, or to themselves about their limitations and about the company's limitations. And, you know, we hit a point where, you know, we tried something new and I thought we could just kind of go it alone and, and plug along and it didn't go very well. It kind of, it uh, it just didn't go well. And uh, I was just racking my brain on What did I do wrong? What did we do wrong? What can we do differently? And then just the light bulb went off. It was just like, I can't, we can't go any higher without more capital and, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more experience, how to take a, you know, a company, a mid, you know, smaller cap, mid cap company um, to smaller cap, really. Uh, yeah, to, so, yeah. Well,
0: that's a problem. That's a problem with you know non-tech companies is that the scale is really difficult, right? And it's you know if, if you can't, you need to hire people that kind of outshoot your your EBITDA, right? <laughs> In order to get to that next level, and um, like you have to do inorganic, right? You have to buy shit um, because you can't maintain the growth rate.
1: Correct. You're absolutely right. You can't, we couldn't do it, you know, 10 bed house at a time. It was going to take us 10 years to get where we wanted to go. So, um, you know, our goal really was to be the platform, uh, the sole focus of, uh, uh, of a PE firm, uh, and have, you know, a, a new management team, uh, join us that has experience with larger, uh, uh larger entities. And, um, and so we, we got that. It was uh, a painful process. Uh, I would never lie to anyone, and um, it's uh, it's very painful. And it's uh, I'll say it's done when it's done. Don't let anybody ever say it's this amount of time or you know whatever. It's done when it's done. So
0: the process of, uh, of closing the deal.
1: Correct. Yes, that is. Uh, it's a it's a rigorous. Um, did and you a engage in a, did,
0: Yeah. Did you engage an investment banker? I did. Yes.
1: Uh, thankfully to you, uh, you gave me um, uh, some years ago when we thought about recapping um, uh, Perkins Coie. You recommended and uh, Elliot Kaplan and uh, uh, Andrew Kettle uh, were our lawyers, and they referred us to several. Um, uh, investment banks interviewed probably six and landed on hexagon capital alliance, um, out of orange County who deals with 10, 20, 30, 40, uh, EBITDA companies. Um, so, uh, right in our wheelhouse and, uh, they did a great job for us. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we were able to to complete that, uh, about a month ago.
0: God, thank God you didn't take that first recap.
1: Oh, that was awful. Wasn't that terrible?
0: That was a terrible experience. That was terrible for bad. me and I wasn't even involved.
1: So bad. Uh, <laughs> it was such a bad, it was such a bad deal. I know. Uh, but, and, uh, that was where, honestly, that was where God looked out and the universe or what have you. Um, and the lawyers that you referred me to that kept saying, don't do this.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I
1: was just pushing it, pushing it forward. Like, uh you know
0: you tasted the money uh, right like you tasted the money and you know it's it's hard to they call that when the deal gets pregnant you know it's hard to kind of back away from that and it takes a lot to drop it once you're
1: mid-process yeah we were right there had the docs you know had everything and uh i remember being at lunch with my wife we would just had our son and and I was like, "Fuck, man, this is a shitty deal." <laughs> like this, is, uh, you know. I was pumping it up for months and months. Like right. this is going to be it. Yeah, you know? you're throwing and
0: dirt like, on it. You're like, well, what about this? F- you know, uh, you right. know. It, yeah, it's just it's
1: it's it could be a nightmare. And it was a bad a bad deal. But I will say again, uh, through your contacts and through Perkins, they really helped me uh, a great deal through that, and then through this as well. So,
0: so. um if you were to, if I was to give you advertising space, not even advertising space, if I was to give you a billboard where it would be at the intersection of entrepreneur, founder, central, what was the one thing that you would want to be amplified? What message to early stage operators? I
1: would say you have to be able to do every job in your company and understand every job in your company. For me, you know, you know, I was uh, an overnight tech. I was a clinical director. I was a group therapist, uh, you know, uh, program director. I had done everything. And uh, so I knew every one of those positions and I could step into whatever happened. I could step into any position in that beginning time and do that job so that there was no if this person leaves, we are in trouble. And, um, and we're still that way. I think that Ben and I still have that thought where we can do anything. There is no one person greater than the sum of the, the family first parts. We can step into any role necessary. So that's what I would say is be comfortable doing every role.
0: Right, and then that also ensures you don't get snowed, right? Like with from, right. from a resource perspective, you know, like oh, we need X amount of people to do this. We're like, uh, oh, not really. I've done your job, and you know, y- you don't, right? Um, and then what? What's the what's the book that you've gifted the most to people? Um, it's
1: actually uh, you know <laughs> um, uh, this book uh, by Ken Follett called Shogun. It's no book uh, of, and I read and and now because I've got the bad back, you know. I, the doctor, the chiropractor said I can't read in bed, so I listen to audiobooks, But I just read for pleasure and to escape. And uh, you know, a book like uh, *Shogun* is just—it's a—it's amazing to think about. It's a—it's basically uh, the West India Trading Company. You know, this Belgium sailor uh, who was hired by Belgium through England. You know, this is a 1200 and uh, uh, got pushed around South America and ended up in Japan to be the first white person Japan had ever seen. And, uh, and I, I just think to those like kind of epic tales, and I just referred it actually to a, a gentleman we, we sat with the other day and he loved it. I mean, you know the hardships that the human being faced, I don't know, it, it brings you know some solace to our con- extremely pampered lives. And uh, but how brilliant some of these people were and how hard life was for a long, long time and our life's not so bad. So puts yeah, things it's in un- perspective. It's
0: actually unbelievable. Like I was listening to a podcast this morning with Mark Andreessen and you know he was saying that the amount of information and the amount of resources that everybody, not just rich people, but everybody has, right? Is so astronomical. Like he was thinking about writing a um a blog post called like, where are all these super productive people? Like we have the tools, right? We have, we have the mode to get them, you know, our output should be 20 X of what it is. So what, what's the deal?
1: Yeah, I, um, I I couldn't answer that question. (laughs) I think, uh, people bump up against hardship and just stop. And, uh,
0: I think people are distracted. You know. People are definitely distracted. You know, I think people just are really distracted and and bullshit that doesn't matter. I agree. Yeah. We're getting really esoteric here.
1: We are, that's good.
0: I like this. That's how Fam, we roll. Say, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a lot. Absolutely, of
1: fun. David. I appreciate you having me on.
0: I am really excited to see what Family First does in the professionalization of adolescent um Adolescent treatment, right? And like, let's get let's get let's get some real evidence based you know outcomes. I mean, I guess you could say that there's a lot of areas within healthcare that you know don't have a lot of great processes, but behavioral health probably being the least amount, right? And um, I'm glad that you are pioneering the way to get that done.
1: Uh, I appreciate the the kind words and uh, the opportunity to to come on your podcast. Thank you. All
0: right, Everybody, thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe. Like, tell a friend, cancel me. Do whatever you'd like to do. Whatever you feel you must do, I am encouraging you to do it. Just do it. Just do something. Stop looking at your fucking phone. And with that, uh, we drop an episode every Tuesday and we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.